It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the inspired team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Hello and welcome to another episode of Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks so much for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the show. Kevin Corhorn is still not with us. He'll be back next week in the studio with me, certified financial planner and my friend, Joshua Gregory. Thanks, Mike. Well, the health savings account has become a much more popular financial instrument ever since the George W. Bush presidency. Yeah. But even after all that time, you know, more than a decade has gone by, many people still have questions about who can use it and when. So we'll answer those questions and much more coming up on this hour of Wise Money. I thought you were going to say still, after all that time, it still autocorrects to has. I when noticed. you're trying to type HSA, it still autocorrects to has. Don't these things? You, you can fix they... that, Mike. That's just a setting. Oh, my goodness. You don't have to put a period between the H, the S, and the A. <laughs> I know, but I'm lazy, and I don't want to go into settings. If you have any questions, not about my technical knowledge and proficiency uh, with Word and all of that stuff, if you have any financial questions, we'll take those. You can reach out to us a few different ways. Call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. You can find us online, wisemoneyradio.com. Submit a question right there on the right. And lastly, in social media, you can submit questions that way as well. Facebook, I'd encourage you to like the page, follow us there, so you can send in questions when we're doing any Facebook Live stuff and that, that sort of thing. But you can send questions there, Twitter, and the YouTube channel as well. All right. Peter called in with a question. He's 63 in Granger. Can you max out your contributions to your HSA, H.S.A. <laughs> in the year you retire? So can you max out your HSA in the year you retire? Oh, simple question. Complicated answer. Yeah, it, it really is. It's a technical question. Um and we'll we'll dive right into it here, but you know you you can contribute to an HSA right up until the year that you retire. A lot of folks they they run into this issue of they're retiring because they've reached Medicare age, and Medicare is what prevents them from being able to keep on contributing, reaching age sixty five and and filing for Medicare. But that's not that's not Peter's situation. He's sixty three, so anytime you are leaving an employer partway through the year, um, you're only going to be able to do a partial contribution to that plan. Mm -hmm. This is kind of a sort of a rule of thumb to to be thinking through. And, And the whole issue is in order to be able to contribute to a health savings account, you have to be covered by a special type of health insurance plan at work. And it's a high deductible uh, health plan, a qualified high deductible plan. And I want to stop you right there because you were, um, you know, you can you can contribute to an HSA up until you retire. I think uh, maybe Casey, we can play that back and hear Josh make a mistake. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but but no, you can do that only if you have a qualified high deductible health plan. This yes. isn't like an IRA or some type of account that well, it's just if I choose to, I can just throw money in there. No, you no, no. You first need to be 
qualified. And technically with an IRA, you need to be qualified for that too based on income limits. But this one is, what type of health insurance do you have? Do you have the right type? If you do, and you don't have any other health insurance coverage, that's, that's sort of a fine print. If you have a qualifying high deductible health plan and no other health insurance, then you can contribute. And that's where the Medicare thing gets people trip, tripped up. Um, I don't need to go in there just yet. We're going we're gonna to talk about it. But mm-hmm. I, wanted to, I wanted to mention that disclaimer there. Yeah, so, so think about it this way, Peter. If you're going to uh, retire at some point here in 2019 and you're only working for an employer and you're on one of those qualified plans that we are just talking about um, for, for, say, three months or six months, then it's only that portion of the year, you're only uh, covered for a a fourth of the year or half the year, then you're going to be limited to contributing only a fourth or a half of the maximum contribution. Yeah, it's pro rata. That's right. Yep. So that's that's the issue that you have to pay attention to. It's not that it goes away completely this year. It's just uh, you're going to be limited. Yeah. So what if what if we take Peter's question and we're going to come back to the Medicare issue in just a second. But what if we take Peter's question and do the opposite? What if you start at a new job in 2019 that has an HSA offered and you didn't have one prior to? Um, you can, now you, now you have a choice and when you have a choice, again, you need wisdom. So you, you know, it's typically easiest to just do pro rata again. So just on the first, you've got to count how many first of the months (laughs) were you qualified for that high deductible health plan? And then it's, you know, if it was six, then you can do, you know, six divided by 12. That's half. Half of the normal annual contribution is what you can contribute. Or if you're going into a place where now you all of a sudden have a high deductible plan, as long as you have that before December 1st, you could choose instead of doing pro rata, you could choose to do, I don't know exactly what they call it. It's a fancy term, but you could do a full year contribution. However, oh yeah, they call it the last month rule. You could do a full year contribution, but then you have to have an HSA, a high deductible health plan for the next 12 months or more. I, I can't remember. I think it's the next 12 months. So there's this testing period about the future. And if you leave your employment within that time, or if you get on Medicare within that time and you don't meet that future testing period, then you've over-contributed and you've got to pay penalties and that can be dangerous. Or or back the money or back out, out if you still have time for that. That's and right. Boy, it, it just makes it such a... Com- a complicated issue and the the tricky thing is it's difficult to get answers when you're trying to talk about your scenario and sometimes consulting with your CPA or an expert on health insurance is the way to go but even there the best option is getting both those people in the same room mm-hmm. you know in our office I'm I'm picturing boy I want Ted Foster in the room, and I want Ryan Fair, both people who have been guests on this show uh, regularly. Uh, you, you're you're looking at the intersection between health insurance and your tax picture. You want to make sure you're not stepping on a landmine there. That's right. That's right. So let's bring back this this Medicare issue. So so Peter's question is he's 63 and he's going to retire. So that's the pro rata in his situation. Yeah, but what if you're still working? 
or you're still working, you're 65, and you're like, hey, well, I've got a high deductible plan at work, and I'm contributing to my HSA. Maybe my company is contributing to my HSA. We're going to tackle that here in a little bit, too. And uh, But, yeah, hey, Part A is free, so I'll go ahead and, I, you know, I don't, I don't even know. I'll just sign up for that. It's free. I might as well take it. Then you can no longer contribute to your HSA. Mm-hmm. because technically you now have two health insurance plans. And the only way to be eligible to contribute to an HSA is to have a qualifying high deductible health plan and that be your only insurance, yeah. your only health insurance. Yep. And there's a lot of jargon there and it can be kind of confusing, but um, ultimately just know that the moment you reach age 65, you don't, you don't just want to have a knee-jerk reaction and go jump on Medicare, Part A or B or both. Um, you really want to have a thoughtful approach because what if uh, you reach age 65 and this decision is facing you here at the early part of a year? You may be giving up the ability to save for all these months ahead uh, into an HSA this year versus someone who's maybe turning 65 in the later part of the year, maybe it's less of an issue. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of actually misinformation out there on the on the web. Um, there are some articles and things that you could stumble upon that say the the moment that you are eligible for Medicare when you turn age 65, by the way, right. then you're no longer allowed to contribute to an HSA. But that's that's actually a little sloppy. That's not quite precise enough language. It's really, when did you actually enroll? Yeah, you know, (laughs) just aside with that, you do need to be careful about the information because even on, uh, even on, well, on the radio, they are talking about and advertising for the 529 plane. We talk about it all the time. And I think I counted three little snippets with the right intentions of misinformation. You know, it talks about, well, if you're an Indiana resident, then you'll get a credit. Well, no, actually, if you pay Indiana tax, you can be an Indiana resident and not pay Indiana state tax. You could be a Michigan resident and pay Indiana tax. Mm -hmm. So it's just, you got to be careful for those things. So to help with being careful, how in the world does this HSA even work? How much can you put in there? When can you draw money out? What are some advanced planning techniques? We're going to talk about all that and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. If you're on one of those Christian share plans or MetaShare type plans, can you contribute to an HSA? That's what we're talking about, a health savings account. We're breaking down how that tool works and everything you need to know to make uh, great use of it in your financial life. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being with us. My name's Mike. Here with me in the KFG studios, Josh Gregory. I want to say thank you to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keene, as well as First State Bank for making the Wise Money Show possible. Thank you very much. The topic that we're starting today's show with is all from a question from Peter. If you have a question, reach out to us. You can do so in a few different ways. Call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574 
you can submit questions online, wisemoneyradio.com. Also check out the blog right there and listen to previous episodes if you'd like. And lastly, social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you can submit questions that way as well. You can also uh, catch any Facebook Live work that we're doing on, on Facebook if you follow the page. And you can subscribe to the YouTube channel to catch every episode uh, from, you know, video recording, if, you, if you'd like. So, all right. So we're talking about the HSA. Peter's question was, he's 63. He's going to retire this year. Can he contribute the maximum to his HSA? And the answer is no. Actually, you, you can't. But there's, there's much more to it. Um, we said that you've got to have the right type of health insurance plan to even qualify. So let me bring that question back into the mix. What if you are on a Christian share plan or one of the medical sharing plans? Um, can you contribute to an HSA? Right. We get that question quite a bit. And a lot of people are making that shift lately. You know, they previously were maybe on an Affordable Care Act uh, plan, sometimes called Obamacare plans. Uh, and they've switched to uh, a Christian cost sharing type of plan. And uh, unfortunately, one of the things that you may be giving up by making that switch is the ability to contribute to an HSA, mm-hmm. because this is not considered a qualified High deductible health plan. High deductible is sort of a relative term, not in the eyes of the IRS. You know, so what, what's high to someone might be low to someone else. No, the IRS says it's got to be a qualified high deductible health plan. So Emphasis you'll know. Emphasis on the word qualified as well, because mm-hmm. there are some plans out there that maybe have what we would consider to be a high deductible, anything over, uh, say, $2,700 for um, for a family or $1,350. That, that feels like... Well, that's kind of a high deductible, but it has to meet other requirements as well. That's where the qualified comes into play. Your employer would be able to tell you whether or not you are actually eligible for an HSA uh, based on the plan that they've put in place. Or if you have purchased your own private insurance out on the marketplace, um, the the agent that helped you put that in place uh, may be able to also direct you on whether or not you can contribute. But these Christian health or, or cost-sharing plans are not eligible. Just right. know that. Right. And if you're buying online, oftentimes it'll even say in parentheses HSA eligible right. or, or HSA type plan. Um, so, so, so the HSA though, I mean, the, the real value of this, the reason why it gets so much attention out there, it is a tax planning tool. It's a way for you to spend money on your health care, your cost out of pocket without being taxed on that money. In fact, I, I would argue it's one of the best tax shelters in the entire tax code. I don't know of anything else like it where it's pre-tax money going in grows tax deferred and comes out tax free. free. That's right. I don't think there is anything else. I I don't believe so either. It's the only thing that I can think of that gives you three tax advantages. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even a Roth IRA, it gives you the tax advantage of letting your investments grow tax-free, and then when you pull the money out in retirement, it's tax-free. But guess what? You had to pay tax on the dollars before you put it in. Yeah, the contribution. So, so it's you good. get two. Yeah. Two out of the three. The HSA gives you three out of the three. So you've got to have a qualifying high-deductible health plan, but then um, how much can you put in? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Finally. Finally, round numbers. Yeah. Finally, <laughs> round numbers. So for 2019, if you're a regular listener to the Wise Money Show, we're probably going to talk about this all the time because it's numbers you can actually remember. If it's just you, 
on the coverage, thirty five hundred bucks you can put in to your HSA. It used to be thirty three fifty and twenty nine cents. It's like just crazy off the wall numbers. Yep. Nope, thirty five hundred for twenty nineteen. Family coverage you can do seven thousand, and if you're fifty five or older, they didn't make that easy for no. your IRAs and four hundred one k's. It's fifty or older, but this one fifty five or older, then you can do an extra thousand. Now the timing of those contributions. Because we are in a unique window right now. That's your 2019 limits. Those are 2019. And you can contribute to 2019 from 1-1 of 2019 all the way to April 15 of 2020. So right now we're in this season where you can make 2019 contributions, but you can also look back at 2018 if you had a a qualifying high deductible health plan and say... Yeah, I, there's some more I want to contribute there and have it improve my tax situation. Okay, you just rattled off so many dates, and I nope. knew what you were nope. saying, Let's but cruise. my head is spinning. Just know that essentially when you're contributing to an HSA, you have 15 months to get it funded for each calendar year. Makes no sense, but they've given you some some opportunity to catch up. And so here we are, we're in this weird stretch of the calendar where you could be contributing to either last year or this year. And we've warned you before, if you're going to do that and you're going to go to the bank and make an HSA contribution, tell the teller what year this contribution is for. Mm -hmm. And then if they just say, okay, um, no, get it in writing, get some sort of documentation because... At least once, if not twice a year, this gets all jumbled up mm-hmm. where you prepare a tax return that shows, oh, you made an additional $2,000 contribution to your HSA, and yet the tax records show that was for a different year because it was just mixed up in the way that you did it. Josh, I think you said you transferred money electronically online, and when you do that, you can't really pick that's there's, right. There's no it way of goes telling. through the current year, whatever year you're in yeah, so. at that time. Many of you, though, are contributing out of your paycheck. And, and that's important to recognize that, first of all, the limits have gone up. So maybe your paycheck contribution needs to be tweaked a little bit, uh, recalculated. But um, just know that that is the preferred method of contributing to your HSA. Not only is it a systematic, um, steady drip of money into your account, but it's one of the only things that you can do to save money on your FICA tax. Yeah. Okay, FICA is how you pay into Social Security and Medicare. It is an extra tax that goes above and beyond your federal and state taxes coming only on paycheck money. But you get to save into the HSA before that tax is calculated. Yep. If instead you do what I what Mike was just referring to, where I will sometimes transfer money from one bank account into my HSA and I just do it online as needed, I am not saving that extra tax, mm-hmm. okay? I will get a write-off on my tax return, but uh, I'm not getting this extra tax benefit. Speaking of tax return, when you get to um, filing your, your returns here coming up, you're going to need to keep tabs on how much money you did pull out of your, your paycheck, how much your employer contributed, mm-hmm. and then any of those additional contributions that you did by transferring. All of that has to fit within the limits that Mike was referring to. Last year it was 6900 This year it's 7000 for a family. So even your employer's contributions can kind of crowd out some of your own savings into these accounts, and you need to make sure that you're coordinating that effort so that you don't accidentally go over. Yeah, you said that a touch casual. I mean, that's 
a big deal that for your 401k, any match that your company does, that your employer does, does not does not count towards your $19,000 limit. It doesn't. It's over and above that. Um, but with your HSA, anything that your employer might drip in for you, even if it's 50 bucks, if you contribute up to the max and then they also put money in, you've you've done excess contributions. You've got a small window to quickly get those dollars out. Otherwise, they're going to be taxed and penalized. So you need to be careful about that. All right, let's address a couple other things. And then there is, um, there's some advanced planning that you can do with an HSA. So we're going to hit that. But first and foremost, this is your money. The HSA, it's a health savings account. It's not use it or lose it. It is your money. It's a bank account in your name. So you need to be aware of that. Second, you need to know you're going to add a beneficiary to that. Because if something happens to you, you've never paid tax on this money, it's going to go to someone else. If it's your spouse, it becomes their HSA, and they can use it for medical expenses. But if it's to a non-spouse, they're going to have to draw the money out, and it's going to be taxable to them. But make sure you've got uh, a beneficiary listed. A couple more basics on how it works, and then the advanced planning techniques, as well as several other listener questions coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. If you have an HSA plan, health savings account, what are you allowed to draw money out of there for? What can you spend the money on and have it be qualified? It's not as easy as you think. We're going to tell you in just a second. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thank you so much for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard coming to you from the KFG Studios with Certified Financial Planner, my business partner, Josh Gregory. Thank you, Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with Remax 100 for partnering with us on the Wise Money Show to make it possible. Thank you very much. Today's topic, or at least what we're hitting so far, is all coming from a question from a fan of the show, Peter. If you have a question for us, would like to hit it on an upcoming show, we'd love to hear from you. 574-222-2000. That's how you find us. Uh, just call or text. 574-222-2000. Online, we're at wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit a question that way. And then, of course, social media, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, you can submit questions that way as well. All right, so Peter's question was actually basic, and um, really good teachers take the basic stuff and make it really stinking difficult. So that's <laughs> what we've done today. Uh, but it was, hey, I'm retiring at 63. Can I contribute the full amount to my HSA? And we addressed that question, but now we're talking about ancillary HSA issues. And, and one of them's basic that I just want to hit because it is confusing. What in the world can I use this money for and not get in trouble? Yeah, and so um, because I'm a geek, you guys, you guys know that. Um, I've got the IRS publication right in front of me. It's uh, it's Pub nine sixty nine, and qualified medical expenses require a prescription. So it's any doctor bills, that sort of stuff. But other than doctor bills, direct expenses paid to a hospital or doctor, something like that, it requires a prescription. Or it's available without a prescription, like an over-the-counter drug, but you have a prescription for it. That doesn't make any sense, but yep. that's the truth. Or it's insulin. So it's those three things. 
But you can also use it for health insurance premiums, but it's got to be for long-term care, health coverage continuation, such as COBRA, um, health coverage while receiving unemployment compensation, or Medicare, A, B, D, those sorts of things. Not Medicare supplements. Not yet. I'm going to say yet because it doesn't make sense why you can't use it for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so but it is just tricky. And so so you're defining some broad categories of what are considered qualified medical expenses. And, and the way you frame that, you said, how do I know what I can spend so I don't get in trouble? Mm. And so let's define what getting in trouble means. Um, the whole point of this health savings account, the reason why in the last segment, we said this is one of the best tax shelters in the entire uh, internal revenue code is because it gives you three tax advantages. One is you get a tax write-off when you make a contribution to it. You also get to grow the account tax-free, and you get to pull the money out tax-free if you're using it for these qualified medical expenses. So obviously it behooves us to understand and know, well, what are those qualified medical expenses? Because if you're pulling it out for any other reason, you're going to pay tax. You, you start forfeiting the the tax deferral or that tax-free distribution because you're going to pay tax and pay a 20% penalty hmm. if you're coloring outside the lines here. So it's a big, big issue. In fact, it's a big enough issue that a lot of websites out there, there, there are many HSA uh, companies out there that these are banks that provide health savings accounts that you can open up and contribute to. They're Some of them are really easy to be able to swipe a card or write a check to be able to spend the money out of, that kind of thing. Maybe your local bank even provides a health savings account option for you. And if they do, they may have on their website a laundry list of potential things that you could actually be spending, spending money on. Some of them, I, I got a kick out of this. Uh. Some of them even have a list of things you cannot spend money on because they're questions that pop up all the time. And I have no idea why these pop up. (laughs) Okay. But things, this is on the list. You cannot use your HSA for veterinary expenses. Some of you think of your golden retriever as your son or daughter, but it is not. And you can't claim them on your taxes, too. I I think that's unfair. Well, deal with it, Mike. You're not even a dog guy. I know. Cat cat guy. You almost can't say those things together. (laughs) A cat guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, We'll strike that from the record. All right. Hair transplants are not uh, a qualified medical expense. Electrolysis diaper services not counted. Illegal drugs or controlled substances. Dance lessons are on the list. People have asked about this. Hey, it it makes you healthy, right? Gets your blood flowing. Gets you on your feet. This one, I don't know if you've tried this one, but health club dues. Have not tried it. Not counted. Any cosmetic surgery, also not. I have tried that one, and I found out. (laughs) I'm stuck with this nose. Turns out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's no fix. So (laughs) try, yeah, try not to be too creative. But if you do have something that's probably a gray area, it's probably not a gray area. It's probably listed out somewhere, whether it's a do or a don't. And uh, depending on how creative you are, you might need to spend a little extra time digging, because, like Josh said. um, it's great if you can if it if whatever your situation is if you can pull the money out from your HSA it's wonderful and and have it be qualified and tax free but if you're wrong 
it's going to be taxable and a pretty hefty penalty of 20%. So don't get it wrong. That 20% penalty goes away at age 65, though. Right. Keep that in mind. That's another little caveat to all the rules for HSAs. Okay. So speaking of all the rules with HSAs, um, and speaking of the fact that they're such a versatile tool, there's some creative tax planning that you can actually do, some creative financial planning that you can do in considering your your HSA. So let's just spend a couple moments talking about those. And the first, we've already kind of alluded to it a little bit, but um, one of the benefits is that it can grow tax deferred. Well, you might think, well, it's just in a bank account and it's earning a little bit of interest, but it's not really growing well. Yeah, but still that's tax deferred. But what we're talking about is you can actually invest your HSA if you wanted to. You might not feel like it right now with the past six months or so, but you could actually invest your HSA for the long term. You could be funding your HSA and then when medical expenses pop up, just pay out of cash and let allow your the money in your HSA to continue to grow tax-deferred and tax-free. And the really, really neat thing that could change at any time, so just know laws can change at any time, but there right now is no statute of limitations on when you can reimburse yourself for an HSA expense. And so you could shoebox. We've talked about that before. And just save up all your receipts that you've paid out of pocket as your as your HSA account has grown. And then sometime in retirement, just say, yeah, I'm going to reimburse myself for all that and take 20 grand out of your HSA tax-free to reimburse yourself. That's what makes this tool suddenly, uh, if, if you reframe this as a retirement savings tool as opposed to a, a medical expense tool, it opens up a lot of these types of strategies where you start thinking, you know what? This might be an option for you if your income is too high to contribute to an IRA. That's for right. Example. So many of us, many of us approach the HSA like an FSA. Like, okay, how much should I contribute? Well, how much do I think I'm going to spend on my medical expenses this year? I guess I'll do that. Well, that's very prudent thinking if it's use it or lose it. But if it's a tax planning tool, then I would challenge you to think a little bit differently. Change change your paradigm. And contribute to this just like you would your 401k. And then when you have nickel and dime expenses come up, pay those out of cash flow. And this can be a fabulous tool for your retirement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another strategy, and this is very, very important this time of year. Say you're getting your tax return done and you take a look and you say, um, oh, I don't really like how that looks. Or you look and say, well, I used to get this tax credit and I'm not getting it anymore. Well, where the HSA deduction lands on your tax return is it's above the line. So it's on the first section of deductions on the front page of your tax return. So there's a little jargon there, but hopefully I defined it for you. And so your HSA deduction goes on that front page, which means it reduces your adjusted gross income. And when your adjusted gross income is reduced, suddenly you can qualify, could potentially, your situation, qualify for more tax credits. My favorite one's retirement savers credit or maybe American Opportunity Tax Credit for college and so on. But if you can reduce your adjusted gross income, that 
can open up more tax credits for you. That adjusted gross income is the number that your state return begins with as well. So any of those uh, front page write-offs like the HSA is not only going to save you federal tax, but also state as well. A couple more things to hit with the HSA, then on to additional listener questions. One from Al from Fort Myers, Florida about Roth conversions. That and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keen, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Thank you so much for being with us today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Across from me in the KFG studios, Joshua Gregory. If you have any questions, if you missed anything, we've been talking about HSAs and planning. We've got additional, um, a couple additional comments and then some listener questions that we're going to be hitting in just a second. If you have any questions, reach out to us, 574-222-2000. You can call or text 574-222-2000. You can find us online, wisemoneyradio.com. If you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can do so right there as well. All over social media, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, you can submit questions that way as well. Also, every episode's right there on the YouTube channel. We were having a little fun uh, just before the segment started, and uh, so if you want to catch any of that stuff, you just follow us on YouTube. Watch us that way as well. Um, lastly, just want to remind you, every episode we put on podcast, some of you are confused. That's the only way you listen. This We have it air on the radio station, but it also every episode's podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, just uh, just search Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. That's Corhorn with a K. All right, before we get on to additional questions, there's one last um unique planning strategy with an HSA. And it's so unique, you heard me pause there. So we mentioned just at the end of the last segment that where you get the HSA deduction, it shows up on the front page of your tax return and that reduces your adjusted gross income. So that can possibly open you up to some additional credits. What if you're on an Obamacare plan, that's HSA eligible because you need to be, and you've made too much money. And you get your taxes done and you look and you say, I've, I've got to pay what back in the, what's a premium tax credit? What is this garbage? <laughs> what is this? Yeah, technically the premium that you've paid in that scenario, the premium you've been paying each month for your health insurance is actually after a tax credit. So they've given you the tax credit every month in advance because you said your income was going to be a certain level. Well, it's time to true that up on your tax return. And if your income's a little bit too high, you got to pay that tax credit back. And the HSA contribution, as long as you have an eligible HSA, qualifying uh, high-deductible health plan, you can contribute to your HSA to reduce that, and it could help you avoid completely because there is no, I don't think, a phase out with those. It's either, yeah, you got to pay all that back or nope, you don't have to pay any of it. And so um, you might be able to contribute to an HSA to help avoid paying back some of those premium tax credits. That'd be similar to contributing to a traditional IRA. Yep. Anything that can give you an additional deduction 
on your tax return to help squeeze your income down so that maybe you get out of that nasty calculation that you were just referring to. Yeah, because I've just seen some really, really wild, violent swings in um, it's uh, on your tax return when that gets added back, and it's it's frightening. But that's the beauty of an HSA. It's one of the few things that you can contribute to after your tax return. You, you've already got it prepared. You see what you know the the end result is going to be, and you have until April to get a contribution made for that prior year. IRAs are another option. Roth IRAs don't give you a tax write-off, so that's not really going to help you there. But it's not like, you know, with your 401k, you have to contribute to that out of your paycheck. So that ship has sailed. The year has come and gone. You don't have any more 2018 paychecks coming, and therefore it's not going to help you. So uh, there, there are only a limited number of these late-stage tax planning tools, and you need to know what you have in your arsenal um, this is why your certified financial planner and CPA will be able to hopefully help bail you out if there is still some flexibility on a problem like that one. Yeah. Well, that's all stemming from a question from Peter. Thank you very much, Peter, for sending that question. If, if you can tell, if there's not a topic that we're going to be hitting in the show, we usually take one question, kind of the question of the week, and really, really dive into all the tentacles and the different, and the, the different areas that it can um, – be impacting your financial life. So, all right, let's keep moving. Al submitted the next question. He is a listener in Fort Myers, Florida. We all wish we were there. <laughs> Are there any limits to how much I can convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA? And is there an age threshold when I'm no longer able to do this anymore? What a great question. Yeah. I don't think yep. we've ever had that question on the show for yeah. years. I don't think we've ever had it. This question comes up sometimes in the retirement class that I teach when we're really diving in and going into detail on the strategy of a Roth conversion. But I always tell people that it's not an age limit. It's not It's not a limit on how much you're allowed to um, convert moving money from an IRA to a Roth IRA. It's more about how much pain you're willing to endure. <laughs> Right. Because ultimately what we're talking about is creating a taxable event. It's a proactive taxable event where you're, you've decided in your financial life for your financial future, it makes sense for you to pay tax on some IRA money now, get it repositioned into a Roth IRA so that you never have to pay tax on those dollars again. And the reason you would decide something like that is because you believe the tax rate that you would pay today is better than anything you're going to see out there in the future. So why not go ahead and redeem some of that money out of a taxable account into a tax-free one? That's the whole idea of a, a Roth conversion. Well, here's the reality. When you start pulling money out of an IRA, you are throwing income onto your tax return. That income can sometimes have unintended consequences. An example would be if you are drawing Social Security this Roth conversion might cause you to pay tax on more of your Social Security than you otherwise would have. Okay, mm -hmm. That would be an unintended consequence. So um, if you are, are in that age band where you've started Social Security, be very careful with this. If you're on Medicare and you say, well, shoot, yeah, I'll, just, I'll pay a whole bunch of tax on this right now, it could. It could push you into a different... Um, Medi premium uh, Medicare tier uh, premium tier for your Medicare and and I've said this before I say it every time we talk about this I, I'm you know at times I'm okay paying more to get more 
But with this, you're paying more to get the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. So be, you got to be careful with that. Here's another, uh, you mentioned ages and, and concerns there. When you reach age 70 and a half, the money that's in your IRA is now going to be subject to a required minimum distribution. That's the IRS's way of just saying, hey, we want, we expect you to pull a certain amount out every single year because it's time to tax you. Now, that required minimum distribution may not be converted into a Roth IRA. Right. It's not eligible for a Roth conversion. So you have to pull that money out and it can't go back into another tax shelter. So there's the practicality of if the government's forcing you to pull money out of your IRA, is there really room on your tax return to pull more money out proactively um, to do a conversion on top of that? There might be. There might be room in, for example, your 12% tax bracket that you could consider doing something like that. Every single year, you're going to want to recalculate and reassess whether or not this Roth conversion is an option and decide, well, just how much are you willing to pay in taxes on that maneuver in the process? Mm -hmm. There used to be, when when Josh and I were both getting started in the business 15, 20 years ago, there used to be a limit on how much income. It was 100000 100, that's right. And so that, that rule's gone, but they might bring it back. But yeah, right now, no age limit. And no income limit. You just need to be you just need to be careful about the consequences. Okay, we got a question a couple months ago, and it's such a big question. I've I've been we haven't really had room for it, and we don't really have room for it fully right now. But we're going to start it. Um, it was sent in by an anonymous listener, um, and so please, if you're sending questions, send your name, where you're from, age, all that sort of stuff. But here's what here's what he or she sent in. My parents are both eighty. My dad's healthy, but mom has dementia. I'm sorry to hear that. They put their home and main property in a ladybird deed. Is that safe? <laughs> so what's the purpose? Usually when I hear a story problem like this, I start thinking protecting from someone, protecting from Medicaid, transferring dollars, something like that. You first need to know, well, what is the function of a ladybird deed? Mm-hmm. And it really is just to add a beneficiary to your house. So that if you pass away, it's going to go directly to someone instead of through your estate. Yeah. Going through your estate subjects it to probate. And that's what people are trying to avoid. In Indiana, we have a transfer on death deed, which accomplishes roughly the same thing, where rather than letting the house pass through your will, it can pass uh, directly to a beneficiary and avoid probate. So, okay. I've been hesitating bringing this up because there's just so much to hit with this. So we're going to pick this question back up on a future show but uh, but essentially yes it can work to help your help transfer your house to another individual with avoiding probate so great question we're going to hit it more that is all the time we have for today though on behalf of josh gregory and all of us at corhorn financial group have a great weekend we'll see you next saturday for wise money with corhorn financial group Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.